Hey, you're not going to bed yet, are you? That's right. It's time for TV Good, Sleep Bad. TV is awesome! Here are your hosts, Daniel Lackey and Elwood Jones. Hello and welcome to another edition of TV Good Sleep Bad. Once more trekking into the murky depths of the cool TV underworld. Joining me as always is my partner in crime though, Mr. Daniel Lackey. Hello. Um, and today we are dedicating the whole show to Charlie Brooker's Black Mirror, the cool TV phenomenon which came out as a sort of an underground show on Channel 4 and sort of blew up into this cultural phenomenon. Um, here, Charlie Brooker essentially gives us a collection of uh, short films, all based around technology, as he shows us, in many ways, the darker side of what we consider to be typical granted with everyday technology. Uh, on tonight's episode, though, we will be looking at the first ever episode, The National Anthem, in which the Prime Minister has to have sex with a pig as well as looking at the Season 2 episode, White Bear. Uh, but uh, before we obviously get into that, uh, we start as always with, uh, by asking uh, what you've been watching. Uh, so, Lucky, I mean, what's obviously been holding your attention since the last show? Um, the, the show that I really, that I really kind of became hooked on, I've still kind of been dabbling quite a bit. There's, and there's still some things that I, I, I need to kind of continue with. Um, I got stalled in the second season of um, Mr. Robot, and um, I uh, couldn't even complete uh, the pilot for Dirk Gently. Couldn't complete the pilot for The Exorcist. Uh, so those two are still kind of on the list. Uh, the thing that really hooked me is, uh, and I just finished it last night, is Channel Zero Candle Cove. Yeah, um, I mean, based on the the creepy pasta, and that is, um, I, I wouldn't say it's a masterpiece by any stretch of the imagination, but it, it kind of hits that sort of Stephen King retro eighties kind of sweet spot, the same kind of sweet spot that uh, Stranger Things hits. Yeah, it, it's very much like Stephen King's it, going back and forth, uh, flashing back between the the past and the present and with, with people, uh, adults facing this big evil thing that they faced as kids. Uh, has it come to the British shores? It has, actually. I think we got it around the same time that it launched in the States, which is kind of a miracle with the way we release everything over here. And it's the show that I'm glad that you brought up because it's one that I've I've seen, I think, the first two or three episodes of. I've been recording it, but it's... It's not really grabbed me as a show. Um, I've kind of enjoyed elements of it, and while I've certainly enjoyed it more than other shows, such as you know, like Walking Dead, um, mm-hmm. I've just not felt the need to sort of prioritise it over watching other things at the moment. So, I've uh, the three I've watched though, it's yeah, there's, there's been elements that I've certainly enjoyed, as you said already. It's got that real same sort of element to it that uh, made it so special the idea of these mm-hmm. children going back and facing this childhood fear in particular in this case it's the 
um, Children's Puppet Show, Candle Cove. Uh, am I right in saying Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> which moment is the creepiest element of the show? Um, oh, yeah. There's a lot of bizarre flashbacks, and we've obviously got the uh, monster made up of children's teeth that's sort of wandering around, and I'm still to find out how that plays into everything, but we have this, this children's puppet show called Candle Cove that, that features throughout the series, and it basically comes through the TV static and just randomly appears. And these characters have all got memories of watching it as children, and now it seems to obviously be affecting the youth of today, um, giving all these sort of like cryptic instructions. And while on the surface it looks kind of, you know, like uh, like some throwaway 70s kids puppet show, there's mm-hmm. something about these puppets that, that they can go really dark really suddenly. Um, oh, yeah. I think the... And, and you haven't even re- if you if you stopped at like episode three, you haven't even really hit the dark stuff yet. Oh great! Cause so, I mean, I would. I mean, this is show. I got freaked out about a giant puppet appearing in the guy's bedroom. Yeah, yeah, that was a really. They did a really good job with the. I, I mean, have you now? Have you read the original story? And this is what I'm trying to piece it together because I've I've read bits and pieces of Creep Past, so I'm not. Again, a huge fan of Creepypasta. I think I'm the wrong demographic for it. Um, uh-huh. So I went into it thinking it was based on the um, on the kid who remembers the show Mr. Hand. That one I'm not familiar with. Yeah, because there's this short story about this uh, guy who remembers this 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 show this kids show and it featured this character called Mr. Hand and these puppets would basically brutalize each other and I thought going into it, that's what it was. I also thought that this was an anthology series and that each episode would be different, so I've been kind of surprised to go into it and find it, oh, it's actually an ongoing story. Uh-huh. Um, and from what I gather, I think it's going to be like American Horror Story. Each season is going to be a self-contained story, which will be great. Um, yeah. Especially if they can do it well, because obviously American Horror Story is using that format, but is doing it badly. Um, right. And obviously, this this show is not we're having the need to just resort to like graphic violence and sex and nudity to. Well, to it, it, it's got a it's got a very different kind of creative team behind it. Um, the main people behind it, um, Nick Antosca, who wrote for Hannibal. Okay. Uh, is is the guy who actually developed it, and then the other two major writers from what I can tell, seemed to be Harley Payton, who was one of the lead writers on Twin Peaks back in the day, and Don Mancini, uh, creator of the Child's Play franchise. Yeah. And then also, I don't know how, how involved he is creatively, but Max Landis is also listed as an EP on it. Um, although I haven't seen him, I haven't seen his name. I don't believe I saw his name come up in, in any of the writing credits or anything like that. He doesn't seem to be as creatively involved in this as he is with uh, the Dirk Gently show. Um, so you have a very different kind of aesthetic, a, a very different kind of, you know, kind of, I, I, I you know, kind of uh, horror type thing than with, uh, than with um, the, 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 American Horror Story, which is very much, from what I'm led to believe, pretty much typical 
of Ryan Murphy, Brad Falchuk, basically having these kind of big emotional moments that only kind of only vaguely kind of connect to each other really seems to be the way I people have described like nip nip tuck and glee to me. Just obviously looking into the background of this, uh, yeah. Uh, we were right in saying this is actually a very short season. It's only six episodes. Um, right. They have already greenlit a second C, C series, and as we predicted, it's a new story, which is great again. Um, it's going to uh-huh. be titled The No End House, um, which is kind of scheduled for 2017. Um, yeah. The synopsis on Wikipedia at the moment reads A young woman named Margaret Slido, uh, who will be played by Amy Forsyth visits the No End House, a bizarre house of horrors that consists of a series of increasingly disturbing rooms. When she returns home, yeah. Margaret realizes everything has changed. That's it. Yep. <laughs> that's all we got. That's, um, that's another creepypasta story I know. Okay. Um, I was... Uh, and the reason is, I did a, I did a creepypasta cram over okay. the summer because I was working... I, I, I have this... Um, one of the creative projects that I've, I've been trying to kind of work with is I wanted to do a tabletop role-playing game. Um, not like a, a, a new game, but do it a campaign, I guess, or a, just something for my friends. And I wanted to do something that was very kind. I wanted to basically do kind of like um, almost like a modern non-camp Scooby-Doo type thing, right. which is, or, or, or like, you know, stranger things. You know, it would, it would take place in the modern day, but I wanted to do like teenage characters, like investigating this dark secret in this small town. And uh, I, I had just finished off Marble Hornets, and I thought, you know, I could, oh, I could go and I could read a bunch of creepypasta to see if I can get some ideas. Yeah. And that's where I, I had, that is not where I initially read, Can- I re- initially read Candle Cove like three or four years ago. And, uh, when I heard they were doing Candle Cove, I was like, okay, I'm all in on that. Um, but yeah, the, the No End House is another one that I'd read. Okay. Um, and that one's, that one's pretty freaky as well. Yeah. Um, they've done a really, I mean, this is a really good job of just like picking like two of the creepypastas that really, you know, the best creepypastas kind of have this sort of urban legend feel to them. Oh, I know. Yeah, you know, yeah. it, 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 it's not just somebody just coming up with some goofy thing to scare people. That is why Slender Man took off the way it did. Yeah. Because there is just kind of something about the way that it all kind of comes together. The original mythology comes together that kind of makes you think. I mean, just on the topic of Slender Man, I mean, just to interrupt you there for a minute, is... I'm so glad the series didn't go. Go okay. We're doing we're doing creepypasta. Let's do Slenderman because I don't I don't want to see a Slenderman series. I think it's it's getting so overworked. It's become this cultural phenomenon. Um, well, I I mean they've already done. I mean there's been several web series done on Slenderman at at least two or three that I can think of particularly Marble Hornets, which seems to be the definitive one, there's already been... I, I mean, Marble Hornets has, has turned into something of a minor franchise. They've, they've already done one Marble Hornets film uh, not 
anything hugely budgeted other than the fact that it had Doug Jones in it. And I, I know there's another one in the works. So yeah, almost almost certainly, if, if nothing else, they, they probably couldn't work out a deed. They might have done it, but they might have ta- uh, uh, investigated the idea of doing the Slender Man series. But uh, the rights are almost certainly tied up with other production companies. Yeah, and the... I mean, the one creepypasta that sort of stood out to myself, and it's the one where they put they put these prisoners of state, it's supposedly based on this Russian experiment, where they put these prisoners of state into an isolation chamber. Uh-huh. Um, and that they basically, they, they came out mad, and that they found this, like, alternate uh, state of being. But, like... Right. But they had no way to see what was happening in the chamber and that that basically they were like mutilating themselves and stuff and it would just really creep me out and I wish I could remember uh, what it was um, I read that one as well I, I'm not recalling the title of it no um, um. which is it's really frustrating because I again I stumbled I stumbled across the uh, like these recommended stories through Lisbeth because if you're on Creepypasta right. there's so much stuff on Creepypasta because people are just constantly adding to it so uh-huh. without knowing what to look for um, it can be a bit overwhelming so it's often best if someone like recommends a few things for you and uh, gives you somewhere to go from there so Russian sleep experiment yeah, it was like a Russian sleep experiment. I think it's just called Russian sleep experiment. Oh, um, There's a creepypasta wiki at creepypasta.wikia.com, and uh, I, I brought that up, and it's I, it, it's it's the story you're talking about. Yeah, the Russian sleep experiment. You're right there. So, and yeah, the the concept being the Russian exper- Russian researchers in the late 1940s keep five people awake for 15 days using experiment gas stimulant, um, and yeah, basically they go mad, and it's. Uh, it gets pretty gruesome. Uh-huh. Um, and it, it is, uh, yeah, it's, it's a rather creepy little tale. I don't think that's going to make it on to Channel Zero. But, uh, uh-huh. yeah, the, just shows a range of what the, is on Creepypasta, really, I guess. Yeah, the one I'm hoping that they do, the one that I'm hoping that they, they figure out a way to do is the Booth World Industries one. So you, you get a call from a, a phone number, and... Uh, you can have people, um, if I remember correctly, they, they re. Uh, it, it's basically like a. Uh, how do I put it? Uh, I, I'm trying to. They have a um, remodeling, is what they call it. Okay. And they just call you randomly, and they, they ask you to have someone scheduled for remodeling. You know, that's a name for someone to remodel, and that's just basically to have them killed. And the one, the reason that one, Booth World, sticks out in my head is that it's. Uh, the phone number is in my air, uh, American area code. So whoever whoever wrote this, uh, it clearly lives by me. In many ways, I think Creepypasta is really picked up by picked up on what was essentially established by like the Clive Barker books of blood. Uh-huh. When, I, when I read some of these things, and I can't help but like think back to like some of the Clive Barker short stories, such as like in the hills, the cities. Um, yeah, with the people like melding themselves together to form these giants, and I heard on the bonus material podcast the other day when they were doing the Clive Barker special um, that there's actually there are actual film development rights floating around for that particular story, and it's like 
how uh, can that possibly work? So, uh, yeah. Well, they made they they made a Rawhead Rex movie. <laughs> they certainly did. That's and that's the reason, and that's the reason Clive Barker keeps a lot closer tabs now. <laughs> on who he sells his film rights to, because they completely, I guess, scotched uh, uh, the, the Rawhead Rex movie. I've never seen it. But yeah, there's this sort of like kind of weird feeling. I I always felt that uh, that Midnight Meat Train kind of had that feeling to it. Yeah. I think, uh, um, yeah, Midnight Meat Train. My grand's seen that. I've yet to see it. But she asked me if I... She asked me... I think when it just shortly after it came out on DVD, she asked me if I'd seen it, which is always an interesting conversation to have for you, Grant. But uh... yeah, um, that was one of Midnight Meat Train. If I remember correctly, that ran at the um, the, the twenty four Chicago twenty four hour. I, I always want to say twenty four hour party people, twenty four hour horror film marathon that you and I were discussing. I was telling you about yeah. before we started recording, and that was where I actually like actually got to meet. Uh, Clyde Barker was there pre- pre- presenting it, so I got to like meet Clyde Barker for literally like two seconds. We shook hands. How did you find him? I find him like a really down to earth and nice guy. And you would very charming, yeah. very charming guy. I was like, even um, when you meet him and you think, oh my god, this guy's gonna be like darker than the devil's spit. But uh, like Nick Cage, uh-huh. really nice guy. <laughs> Yeah, you you you, you these, a lot of these horror writers you kind of expect you know Stephen King Ramsey Campbell was another one that they really kind of, was really kind of surprised that he basically people expected him to be like Anton LaVey. yeah and he's just this sort of long haired kind of hippieish guy from Liverpool you know very soft spoken and. Um, yeah, horror writers are usually like that. I, I think this is what we always said. If you spend like spend all your time being like creepy in your creative work, that when you're on your in your downtime, you don't really feel the need to be creepy anymore. Do you? you just like just have some normality in your life. You, it's kind I, of I, I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, there's always exceptions to that, like Alan Moore. Um, um Alan Moore. You never know which version of Alan Moore you're going to get. Some days he's yeah, like, that, that's very true. He's very satirical and funny, and then there's other days where he's like kind of out there. Um, uh-huh. And it's always kind of a crapshoot which Alan Moore you're going to get. Um, I remember him saying about his religion that he'd, he'd set up where he's basically worshiping the multi-breasted snake goddess, but he's not sure if it's right. actually something that exists or just a sock puppet on his other hand. Um, <laughs> That's right, Mister Moore. <laughs> so like, you see what you see what Alan, Alan Moore did, and what he's done with existing properties like Swamp Thing, what he did with uh-huh. like, Watchmen, um, and when he's like talked about these things being adapted, and he's like, because he basically doesn't take payment for it, he says give the money to the give the money to the artists and. Uh-huh. other people involved and stuff and when he was like I mean, he was on like Radio 2 or Radio 4 and he was like talking about it he was like being really funny about it and um, it was sort of like he was like saying these projects they just keep getting greenlit and he was sort of like begrudgingly each one that comes along it's like give the money to the artists and then other times he'd give the same quote but he just sound really angry and pissed off so he's uh right yeah he's uh he's, he's an odd 
one to say which one you're going to get. So uh, it always kind of puts me off wanting to uh, pursue that 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 particular interview. But because uh, as they say, you should never meet your heroes. Uh, that that's uh, that's a motto I live by. So uh, yeah, I just try to stumble into these encounters. So. Uh huh. But um. But yeah. yeah, Candle. I really, I really like Channel Zero, Candle Cove. It 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 really picks up in the second half. Oh, good. Um, I can see, I can see why you would have had some difficulty getting, really kind of getting really hooked in the first three episodes. Yeah. But uh, it, you know, it, it's um, I liked it. It was really, it was really neat, and it had some stuff that really kind of put my teeth on edge, particularly in the finale. Oh, good. So uh, yeah, that that's one I definitely, and it's only six episodes. Yeah, which is kind of refreshing. So, yeah, I, and I'm really glad. I'm I'm really glad that like kind of like the shorter season models are are coming over here. Yeah. Um, that that's when and it's going to be. I I I know that there's going to be um when they do the no name house one or no end house the uh I that one's going to be there that it's not going to be like a full year before we get that that's um. I think they're going to run that in, uh, like, February or March. Right. Kind of breaking these up into two, like, mini-series. I, I that That's really nice. That's really been the only thing for me, other than, like, uh, I've been watching Survivor as well. We're right in the middle of the latest season of Survivor, which is about the only reality show I watch. And, and they had some really, really great cluster kind of episodes yeah. where the, nobody <laughs> everything's in chaos and nobody knows who's voting for who and I've even at this point given up trying to figure out who's going to make it all the way <laughs> so ask ask Dan at a public transportation snob um, if he's willing to to, to to wager who he thinks is going to win Survivor this season but I'm not even going to try <laughs> Let's go, let's go. Um, I mean, for myself, it's it's not been a particularly exciting month. Uh, obviously, I'm still watching Westworld. That's nearing its big conclusion, and it's still doing interesting things. It's just extremely dense, I'm finding it. There's a lot going on, and how it all yeah. comes together. That's is, what I've been hearing about it. Yeah, and um, I wish I had more time to like rewatch episodes, but with the pacing of everything and everything else I've got to watch it's sort of like a case of I sort of watch it and watch it and then I have to try and pick it up on the message boards and, and whatnot to piece it all together but um, I still uh-huh. enjoying it it's still a very good series also on after it I've been watching uh, the Sarah Jessica Parker new series Divorce uh, which is a fun little black comedy and uh, very much in the vein of uh, Sensitive Skin light uh, that particular series then I would uh Check it out well, I don't think I've ever heard of Sensitive Skin. Okay, it's um, is that a British show? No, this is a Canadian black comedy. It's okay. also, um, Kim Cattrall. Okay, I never really cared for on Sex and the City, but again, she's she's really good on this uh, this show, and she's basically this woman. She's in her fifties and basically having kind of like a midlife crisis, and she's surrounded by all these people who are making out the fact that they've got everything worked out but she realises no one really does and it's kind of like a 
a better written version of Girls, I guess, in that respect. I was, I was going to say, it sounds, what you're describing is like a, a, a version of Girls for like the very last, like, or like the, the very like last gasp of the baby boomer generation. It's, I mean, we're starting to see a lot more of these sort of mumblecore shows being made now. Um, and divorce again would, would put over it. And it's just nice sort of shows which sort of the revel in the use of dialogue rather than right. action and, and, and whatnot. Just having characters interact with each other um, and having an interest in dialogue is just so kind of refreshing. And obviously, Girls is returning for its final season next year um, at the start okay. of the trailer for that. It's. It's drifted so far from its first season. I was looking back on my uh, Facebook memories and seeing me praising praising how great a show it was. Um, uh-huh. And I kind of cringe now when I see what the hell it's turned into. Because it's... It's so far up its own ass. And it has a lot to do with its creator um, in uh-huh. that respect. Because Lena Dunham has basically started to believe her own hype. Um, and yeah. it, it reflects now on the writing and I think she lost you can tell where her writing power ran out which is around season 2 uh, because it's been treading water ever since but there's still those who will proclaim it's the greatest thing ever such as like Brady Sinellis but Brady Sinellis is the kind of guy who thinks you can watch the first episode and the last episode of the season as he did with Breaking Bad and be able to give a, a comprehensive opinion on it um, as he frequently states his uh, dislike for that show. But uh, hmm. when's the last time he wrote anything of note? Never heard of the guy. <laughs> um, so I guess there's your answer. Yeah. Um, obviously, yeah uh, girls seems to have gone the non the, the root. It's basically like the non supernatural mumblecore uh, heroes. Basically, yeah. it's like. Everybody loved it for like three quarters of a season. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's just not offering anything of interest. Um, the exception, obviously, being uh, that Gotham is returning for season three, uh, titled Mad City. Yep, and I've heard about that. We've uh, in the first trailer we see the return of the previously dead Jared, um, who's uh, the only character we seen confirmed as coming back. We've obviously heard that Poison Ivy's character is being reworked, so she's now going to be more of a environmental activist, um, and being, having a jumping the old age, because they're promoting her from being a young child to being a teenager. So All right. It'd be interesting. Gotham, as I've obviously bar- you know, rambled on on previous episodes about, is one of my favourite of the superhero shows. It is just uh-huh. so... Perfect, and at the same time, they're cramming so much into each season. Um, it's like you're getting two to three seasons worth in one season, and the right. fact that it's got this sincerely style to it, and it's not just like filled with beautiful people. It's 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 very much its own show. Um, uh-huh. It's what I really like about it, and I know it's got its haters and people criticizing aspects of it, but I like to believe it. It exists in its own universe. This is just one way of telling the early years of Batman. This is just one way and the the, the Ben McKenzie is fantastic as both James Gordon, but Donnell Logue uh-huh. as Harvey Bullock is 
one of the my favorite things about the show, and it's so good whenever he's just playing like sleazy cops or drunk Irish uh-huh. cops in particular. Because um, he did a turn on <laughs> special victims. Donald Logue. Yeah, I, I, yeah, special. Yeah, he did a. I don't remember whether it was last season or the or, or the or the year season before. Yeah. Where yeah, he he was um, he was kind of like the the acting chief. Um, after, uh, I, I don't remember his name, but Dan Florek's character. And while they were going through the formalities of formally giving Liv that job, and, um, all, all I remember, I mean, they did, they did some stuff there. Yeah, I remember him doing that, and his character knocked up, uh, Rollins, and it, it's just anywhere you find Donald Logue, you know, uh, he showed up on Vikings a couple years ago. And uh, that that was you know that was a lot of fun, and he managed to make the last few episodes of I, I mean his was the main plot arc going uh, on on Sons of Anarchy, where I just said okay screw this I can't deal with this show anymore. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, Donald Logue is uh, Donald Logue is always great, and uh, I, I think if nothing else, Gotham seems to be making a star. Out of the guy, uh, Robin Lord Taylor, I think his name is, the guy that plays uh, Cobblepot, yeah. the Penguin. So, uh, oh, he's so yeah, that that guy's a weird, I mean, he's not bad looking, but he's a kind of interesting guy. I think, um, yeah, you're right in saying, I mean, Robin Lord, Ta- Lord Taylor, um, who was obviously playing the young Penguin, um, Cobblepot, he's, he steals every scene he's in. He's been having... Uh-huh. Fantastic arc throughout the series as we've seen him obviously going from the various different criminal uh, fraternities as he's been trying to find his place in the underworld. Um, and we obviously had that wonderful uh, part of, our, of the second season where he was essentially roommates with the Riddler. And it was, as we said, before, okay. Why am I, I? You sold me. You sold me on Gotham. I'm going to start watching it at some point. Yeah. And as we said, before, the penguin, the penguin being housemates with the Riddler. Oh yeah. My God, I don't, I don't, I don't even know that there's a more perfect logline for a television show. Well, this is what we mentioned before when it happened. I mean, it's like the odd couple, but they're both psychotic. <laughs> um, but, uh, it's like the bottom all over again. Pretty much. Uh, yeah, it's it's a great show, and it's available on Netflix now as well, which makes... Oh, awesome, okay, good. So, uh, well, I have cable now, so... It should be easy <laughs> well. Um, but yeah, just obviously, just a final note, Donald Logue, I'm just so glad that he's finally getting to be an actor in his own right, rather than them basically trying to use him as a, a bargain bin uh, Jeff Bridges. Because for, like, the longest time, they were trying to get him to just be do like Jeff Bridges role where they can obviously get Jeff Bridges yeah um, so it's nice to see him actually doing some like proper drama and stuff and uh right um and Sean Pertwee as uh Alfred has been also really phenomenal <laughs> on this show I, I don't know I mean it's it, that, that's my question that I always ask people is why the hell am I not watching Gotham I mean yeah. Sean Pertwee's on it <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll, I like I like him, and not just because I like not just because I'm a Doctor Who fan. Yeah. I mean, he was the couple movies I've been able to track him down in. You know, he's really good. I, I thought he was really good in Dog Neil Marshall's Dog Soldiers. 
Oh, definitely. Um, um, I think one of the, another of the highlights, though, of uh, season two was when we got to meet um, Penguin's father. And he's played by Pee Wee Herman. Well, played, yeah, by uh, Paul Rubens, yeah. Yeah, who's was obviously played the role in Batman Returns. Oh, that's right! Um, so to see him reprise it again as an older actor, and it's phenomenal. It's not there's no element of Pee Wee Herman to this character at all. It is like straight down the the line a serious performance he gives. Yeah. Well Rubens is Rubens I think is a better actor than I think a lot of people have given him credit for, but he's always gonna there's a group of people to whom he's always gonna be Pee Wee Herman. Oh yeah. I think so, but uh no he's uh, <laughs> he, he's he again, he's um just one of many, many highlights that have been with this show. Um, I think it really came into its own in the second season, but uh, no, both seasons have had... They've had something there to sort of hook you hook you in. Um, right. It's felt like in those early episodes, like you're watching like a police procedural set within Gotham City. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's one that's definitely worth... Stick with those first few Rocky episodes where they're establishing people and once it gets going, it's it's very hard to not get hooked and stuff. And how they're bringing characters in, how they're explaining like other characters' creation has just been very, very good. So uh, is, is it now? Isn't there a rumor that um, Jim Gordon's wife is going to end up being Harley? Um, well, or someone goofy like that will end up turning into Harley Quinn? It wouldn't surprise me because she obviously goes a little nuts um, in it and again we have the standout scene where she's torturing Jim Gordon so she's it, dressed in a wedding dress with a sawn-off shotgun um, interrogating Jim Gordon in a, and, and I mean these are scenes that you never knew you wanted to see them until it gives you them um, right and we obviously have things like we have like minor characters like Firefly revamped. Um, we have BD Wong turn up as Hugo Strange. Um, yeah, who's just a very inspired choice. And uh, we have Jada Pinkett Smith as Fish Mooney, who's like oh uh, god, who's again she's really phenomenal in the show. She's she's uh, she's really takes this character and like gives us this. Kind of like a black exploitation style uh, roughness to her, which right? Is like she's got got this like shot like quality where she's like beautiful and deadly all at the same time, um, right? She's like playing one of these rival gangsters in, in it, and uh, yeah, she's uh, she's. I know obviously you hear Tina Pinkett Smith and you think, oh, that's Will Smith's wife, and what can she possibly bring? But here she uh, she's just really good. She's she's good. Um, obviously, other than that, it's, uh, the only other thing I've really been sort of watching is the, uh, King of the Road Tournament, uh, 2016, which is kind of shown on Viceland. Uh, for those not familiar, it's kind of like a jackass-style scavenger hunt held by Thrasher Magazine, where they have different skater teams from companies such as Birdhouse and, uh, Toy Machine go across the country, uh, visiting 13 different cities, and they have to complete different challenges and such as they have like jackass style stunts where they have to check into a hotel wearing only stickers or to spend five days completely shirtless or 
to perform different skateboarding tricks or to recreate famous tricks at particular skate sites and there yeah it's been fun if you like skateboarding or like jackass uh it's kind of got the feel of the old uh, big brother skate videos like uh poop and number two uh-huh. uh to it so it's it's been good but viceland is continuously continuing to uh provide me with most of my tv watching uh we've shows such as like hate your neighbor and wang's world and uh we've got the uh, new series Abandoned coming up about uh, them looking at abandoned places across the uh, the states. So, uh, yeah. Hmm. I'll have to look that one up. That sounds interesting. Yeah, and um, the Vice and Film series is absolutely phenomenal as well, uh, where they take different directors and do a overview of their works. They do, like, the Coen Brothers and Richard Linklater, Sofia Coppola. Uh-huh. It's, uh, it's a real great introduction if you're not familiar with a director such as, like, Linklater, for example. It's right. actually this nice little overview and insights into his work, and it sort of like establishes what the themes are, and and um, while obviously going from like the first film through to the most recent work. So, yeah, it's uh-huh. uh, there's definitely some some great stuff in there, especially with like the Coens and Linklater and Tarantino and uh, those sort of directors that have all these sort of references and indie sort of backgrounds to them. So, uh huh. But, cool. uh, yeah, I think that, that's about it at the moment. Uh, it's As I said, it's been a bit of a quiet month, so... Yeah. <coughs> We're currently looking more to the year ahead uh, with our releases uh-huh. and stuff than what's, uh, what's currently uh, coming out at the moment. So I think at the moment it's just going to be a case of wrapping up Westworld. Perhaps over the Christmas break I'll catch up on The Walking Dead. I, I can take it or leave it at this moment in time, and I think... It's got about two seasons in it, I reckon. And I think uh-huh. if the showrunners are sensible, they follow the comics up to the Total War storyline and end it there, because it's has kind of like a conclusion in the comic books where we obviously hit that point and then we jump forward several years to like a rebuilding of society. Um, right. So I think the show, the TV show can't really run as long as the comic book is going I think it's losing its audience and <coughs> certainly it needs to do something to keep the audience there because at the moment it's quickly fading and it's as the numbers are showing it's just the diehards that are really with it and there's a lot of people deluding themselves yeah. it's still good but it's uh, yeah it's it's not been good for a long time right So, but uh, yeah I mean if you Anything else you want to talk about on that one? Nope. I'm good. Okay. But uh, obviously something worth talking about would be Charlie Brooker's Black Mirror, which has seen the first half of its commission season through Netflix uh, released already. We've had the first six episodes of the 12-episode season that they've commissioned. But on tonight's show, we're obviously looking back at episodes from the first two seasons. Um, Kicking things off, though, we're going to obviously start with the pilot episode called The National Anthem. Now, in this particular episode, we've got uh, the Prime Minister who is faced with this huge dilemma when Princess Susanna, who is this much-loved member of the royal family, is kidnapped. And a kidnapper for her safe return says that the Prime Minister must have sexual intercourse with a pig on national TV. And he's put all these specifications in place so that it's impossible for them to fake it. 
Um, Callow basically has to go for it or the princess is going to die. And the episode follows this huge dilemma of will he go through with it or not? Uh, what is he... Is there a way he can sort of get out of it? And as I said, this is uh, the whole plot line of it. This episode in particular has, like so many of the Charlie Brooker stories, um, had this surprise link to real life where, obviously in two in 2015, in September, um, the current president, uh, president, <laughs> we don't have presidents, uh, the current prime minister, David Cameron, um, was revealed to have taken place in a initiation rite where he was said to have put a private part <laughs> in uh, hashtags there um, into the mouth of a dead pig and obviously this linked as the papers very happily did to this Charlie Brooker's episode where we obviously have the Prime Minister being forced to have sex with a, a pig on television um, this is certainly an unusual way to open your series um, but uh, Lucky I mean what was your so it, 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 it's a really interesting opening spell, though. It, it, it basically kind of, you know, you, the, the, the original run. This is about the of the first three, the first series of Black Mirror was was this episode. Um, I think it's called the, the Eleven Million Merits and the Complete History of You. And this was about the most extreme of the third, the three episodes. There's really nothing in. I, I mean, there are. I will say, in the entire series, there are, you know, numerous things that are disturbing or shocking. But really, I don't think there's any single point in this series that kind of has. I mean, to, to kind of point out how this episode opens where you've got um Roy Roy Kinnear Rory Kinnear yeah, Rory Kinnear. um Rory Kinnear um you know playing Prime Minister Michael Callow you know being woken up in the middle of the night by a phone call at, at 10 Downing Street and uh you know going and, and talking to his major advisors who are played by uh Lindsay Duncan um I know Lindsay Duncan has done other stuff, but to me, she's always been like the doomed Martian uh, mission commander um, in one of the the Gap Year season uh, specials from Doctor Who Waters of Mars back in 2009. Um, and the other advisor being played by Donald Sumter, um, another Doctor Who veteran, but who most people would recognize as, I think, Maester Lewin from the first couple seasons of uh, Game of Thrones. And just the way they're leading up to this whole thing, like they show you the video with Princess Susanna crying, and then they pause it right before they get to the revelation, and they're like, okay, now we believe that what follows is completely on the level. <laughs> and this whole thing, it's like, you have to go and have unsimulated sex with a pig. And it, it's like, I want to pause at that point and say, that is about, that is Charlie Brooker, basically almost like a, uh, like a statement of purpose. You know, that's 
the point at which Charlie Brooker just basically kind of pauses things and say, okay, this is the kind of thing you're going to be dealing with on this show. You know, and there's nothing, I don't think there's anything even in the rest of the series. There's a lot of disturbing stuff, but nothing as extreme as this one moment. But, I mean, that kind of sets a bar of, of kind of what kind of twisted shit to expect. Yeah. Um, you, you know, and, and certainly there is a lot of twisted stuff in this, but it, it really, the thing that really gripped me about this particular episode and, and why this said, you know, why within about half an hour I was just like, okay, I'm, on all, I'm all in on this show. You know, is that it takes this almost high concept type thing. You almost want to say, you want to pitch it, and you want to pitch it with like three exclamation points at the end of your log line. Prime Minister fucks a pig. Favorite Cameron has sex with a pig on live television. But it treats it as proper drama. Yeah. You know, it it, 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 it certainly, the novelty of the whole thing, the novelty of the whole thing where it, it, it cuts in between, um, you know, Callow and his, you know, advisors discussing what the hell is this and how are we going to deal with this? Mm. I mean, this, you know, and all these kind of implications and then cutting in between like these sort of, you know, average people type characters, you know, Greek chorus characters saying, can he do this? You know, watching this and, you know, talking about it. Is this going to happen? Is it not? Is this a joke? Is this some sort of, you know, uh, you know, sort of, you know, Gilbert and George type bizarro uh, performance art type thing, you know? And and it, it, it just takes this absolutely bizarre round the bend concept and you're just clearly through the looking glass here but says, okay, if somebody did this, how would the press treat it? And I just I, I some of my favorite scenes in the episode are, are early on when they're having you know, they cut between several plots and one of the plots that they the, the, the subplots they have throughout the episode is uh, the the one of the T V networks, you know trying to figure out how to cover this and they're all in a boardroom and they're trying to figure out how how can you sensitively say someone has captured princess someone has captured you know a member of the royal family and will kill her if the prime minister does not fuck a pig on live tv mm. how do you sensitively say that yeah i'm just gonna obviously warn ahead that we are going to be sp- be doing spoilers for both episodes so if you haven't seen either of these episodes do yourself a favor go and watch them and then restart this podcast uh, because yeah we'll be we'll be we'll still be here <laughs> and, <laughs> we're not going anywhere because i mean after i guarantee after you watch these episodes there's sort of you watch these episodes and you want to discuss them with someone um and it's as i said we've obviously got this the the premise to, has to fuck a pig that's the hook for this episode, but where the genius of Black Mirror lies is that it can take it's it gives you that hook, and it's where Brooker takes the story that things get really interesting. How he chooses to portray this handling of the situation, as you mentioned already, we've got these different groups 
trying to decide how they're going to proceed with the coverage or handling the situation. We see, obviously, the the Home Secretary trying to find all these ways to get the Prime Minister out of it. Like, they try to fake uh, the Prime Minister having sex with a pig. They bring in a porn star who has this really fantastic uh, name and just... Rod something. Yeah, he's uh, Rod Senseless. Right. The, the, the Andy Circus of porn. Um, they bring, they basically bring in, but obviously, this kidnapper, he's always one step ahead. I mean, he sets up a fake broadcast point, so they, there's a moment where you follow the SWAT team going, and they think they're going to take out the broadcast and find the princess, but obviously not. It's just another plot. Um, uh-huh. it's, it's all just uh, another game the kidnapper's playing, and it's... it's Fascinating as, he, as the clock's obviously ticking down to him, obviously having right. And you don't know. I mean, it's like it's like what does he do? And everyone's sort of like turning up against him. Like the royal family say they're not going to protect him if he doesn't go through with it. Um, uh huh. And that they even say like his family will have no protection from any repercussions if he turns. Yeah, we can't. Him. We can't guarantee your safety. Yeah. Pause, or that of your family. And he's sort of like, you know. Yeah, and he's sort of like, Camel's essentially over a barrel. He doesn't want to fuck a pig. Um, right. But he kind of has this sense of duty, and I don't know, is it really a sense of duty, or the fact that he's forced into performing this act? Um, it's, I, I'm never sure which way to view it. And it, 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 it's always intercutting with these, the media, the media talking about it, yeah. the media talking about his approval numbers, the media talking about, you know, how people will see him. And I mean, this is, you know, this is for, this is particularly very vital, I think, for American viewers, you know, because you really get, I think, a good primer in this episode of how the slightly, the subtle differences between, like, the the, the relationship between the American press, American government, British press, and the British government, where a lot of the sort of freedoms of the press that we assume we have in in America, we don't have, like, the D-notices, you know, which they're very strongly worded, you know, missives that'll come down from Whitehall or whatever to the press and say... Yes, you know, it's like these very, almost like very strongly worded, but very passive aggressive, which we would really appreciate you not, you know, spill these state secrets, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and just kind of, you know, another one of the more interesting, you know, B plots is, you know, between, uh, basically like a functionary in, in the, the, the cabinet or just like an, like an aide to an aide to an aide. And, you know, tipping off a source um, at, at a network basically by her her basically seducing him into it, you know, by sexting him, you know. And, it, and it's just, you know, it, it, again, the thing I keep going back to is it's the most bizarre possible idea you could possibly think of. Mm. You know, it's 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 like I could not even wake up 
and think to myself, okay, I'm going to write a story. What am I going to write a story about? I'm going to write a story about somebody blackmailing the president of the United States and the fucking a pig on CNN. And he Brooker takes it. And this is where I have to go to Brooker's background, because if I remember correctly, Brooker got his start with, you know, kind of like the whole, um, you know, Brass Eye Chris Morris gang. You know, I know one of his previous projects he worked with Chris Morris on. Yeah. Um, and, and how I heard Brooker's name, um, first heard Brooker's name in a, in a uh, association with a show called Dead Set, which ran, I think, uh, 2008 or 2009, which is basically Dawn of the Dead, how Dawn of the Dead affects the Big Brother house. Yeah. Which, again, sounds absolutely... It's this amazing satire, you know. Yeah, I mean Brooker. When you look at his uh, his filmography, he's always been part of that satirical crowd. Because Britain, on a whole, we we're very big on satire. Um, It's seen as a very noble form of comedy to be satirical about, especially like the the government state. Um, It's it's a very big thing and. Brooker is very much like coming in after the the early 90s sort of uh, comedy punk movement we discussed in the previous episode with things like Bottom and uh, right. Fran, Fran Laurie. And he's sort of like coming in, he's very sort of like uh, the late 90s, because obviously he started off on the 11 o'clock show. Uh, from there, he obviously goes on to be working with Chris Morris, the chief agitator himself, um, as he works on Brass Eye. In particular, he worked on the episode Peter Geddon, which pissed everyone oh, off. God, yeah. um, and from there, he obviously continued to stay on very much a technology track um, with things such as like the site TV Go Home. He did Nathan Barley. Again, that's with Chris Morris. Um, mm-hmm. That's Chris Morris over on the, the dark end of things. It's It's with Chris Morris, you either have like satire that you can follow, or just the darker recesses of his mind, where like Aphex Twin vacations uh, with things like yeah, Jam it, and uh, Nathan Barley. That it's a really dark place that he will go to with those shows. Even with Brass Eye, when I watched Brass Eye, there were points at which I was like, "Is this supposed to be comedy or anti-comedy?" Yeah. You know, that, that is just, and, and you're, there, there is, you're very right, there is this very long and storied tradition of scathing satire in British, British Irish culture, going back to Jonathan Swift, that you don't really have in America. I mean, uh, Brooker is in the same tradition as Chris Morris, as the, the, the more political alt comedy figures. Going all the way, you know, like going all the way back to like Swift. I mean, this is just this is intense stuff. Yeah, and obviously Brooker has always had this love of technology. He's done uh, numerous reviews for like computer computer games. He did. Um, he even did like a little a documentary on computer uh-huh. games, how video games changed the world. Which I really recommend checking da- checking out. I think you can find it on like Snack Film or somewhere. If you just type in uh, how video games change the world, you'll you'll be able to find it. It's on 
one of those legal uh, video hosting sites. So it is available um, to uh, watch. I think he also did like a column for like PC Magazine or PC Computing or one of the British computer magazines. Um, uh, I'm not I sure which to... one. I know that he got put in Sniper Elite because he did a whole column where he talked about how much he enjoyed shooting Nazis in the balls. So they put him in uh-huh. Sniper Elite 3. So now you can shoot Charlie Booker in the balls. <laughs> Alright, yeah. Okay, we're through the looking glass here. Amazing. Um, and he also did, uh, he used to write for the, the Guardian. He did a piece in the guide where he would write uh, his thoughts on a particular advert. Um, he did one on um, on Actimo yogurts, and it was sort of like, oh, Jenny's name, Jenny's tummy feels like it's uh, stuff with a football, or perhaps Jenny just needs a good clear out. Or that Toby. <laughs> Oh, the Toblerone, the only... In the advert for Toblerone, it shows uh, Toblerone being cut with an axe, which is obviously the only logical way to eat said chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, here he's obviously... The focus is on technology. I think Dead Set was really a test run for what we get here. Uh, obviously yeah. Obviously, set in the Big Brother house overrun with zombies. And with this... It, it, it's a Dead Set. I'm sorry to interrupt. It's Dead Set. The one thing I want to say about Dead Set... Is that it, 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 it's obvious in Dead Set that he enjoys Big Brother, but it, it's one of those things I never knew was possible until I saw Dead Set to be both affectionate and scathing. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was so unusual. It was a, it was a decent zombie drama, but obviously set in the realm of Big Brother. It's sort of like, what would happen if Big Brother's the last sanctuary on Earth? <laughs> um... It, did, uh, it, it, it just, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, obviously, technology runs rampant throughout Black Mirror, and some episodes are a little more obvious. In this one, it's a little more subtle, because we obviously have, like, things such as, like, the Ransom Band being put on YouTube, and we see, like, the effect of everyone watching it on YouTube, and it gets picked up on Twitter, so the, you see, like, the hashtag SnoutRage. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, obviously, just to skipping ahead when we get to like crunch time and he's and he goes for it you know you're seeing Rui Kinnear <laughs> I'm sure this is something he never thought he'd be doing having sex with a pig as the British public all watch this happening and it's such a great scene where they're all like cheering and it's all this like rowdy sort of atmosphere and it suddenly becomes very quiet and everyone feels slightly ashamed of themselves yeah, um, and we cut to the outside world, and it's like empty streets, um, and we see the princess obviously wandering these empty streets, and it turns out that the kidnapper was using this as an artistic point to show the fact that we're busy watching screens than paying attention to the real world, and the fact uh-huh. that he commits suicide, so he lets the princess go before he even goes through with the act. Uh, but because we're all busy watching it, we don't realise she's been released, and that's the, right. uh, that's that's the real kicker. And I think <coughs> it's he, he starts the broadcast at four. He releases her at three thirty. Yeah. Yeah. And the the fallout of this situation is it's not enough for the where most seems to be like 
oh, the kicker is, you know, she was already released, and that would be the kicker. Um, but here we actually see, like, the fallout from it. So we we cut to, like, a year later, and Callow has, like, improved his political image, because he's shown what he's willing to do for the British public. They spun it in this way. Uh-huh. They've, they've obviously cut out the fact that he was forced into doing said act, because no one else is going to back him up if he chose not to do it. Um, right. And then you see him, like, this popular public figure when, like, his private life, his wife is, like, completely cold to him. She's disgusted with him. And uh-huh. I love the fact that in the new se- new season, in the episode uh, Shut Up and Dance, you get to see a news headline briefly. That actually shows that the Callows are divorcing. So... Oh! You get this... Interesting. I, I, I know that there have been, like, little tips of the hat to some of the previous episodes in the new season. Yeah. Um, like, uh, I, I, God, there was another one. Uh, like, like somebody in the, one of them was, I, I think it might actually have been Shut Up and Dance as well, where they had, like, there was, like, a, a shot of, like, a, like, people were talking on Twitter or something like that, and, um, like, there was, like, a brief mention of something, um, from one of the other episodes. I, I'm, I'm talking out of my head again, I'm sorry. But, um, yeah, it's nice to see that Brooke has thrown in those little nods to the previous episodes, and, and that uh-huh. in this new series is all interconnected in a way, and, um, yeah, I think this, this episode, and uh, there's another episode, I think it's in season two, called The Waldor Effect. Um, oh, yeah! And, uh, yeah, in which, you know... I, 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 I gotta interrupt you again here, um, and I apologize. Okay. I, um, you know, so I, we, we discussed, you and I discussed the idea of, because, you know, Black Mirror was returning of doing, like, an all-Black Mirror episode, and, and, you know, we're gonna get to the episode I picked in a little bit, but I, I, I gotta tell you, I picked, we picked these episodes in late, late October, and I gotta say, uh, if I had picked a Black Mirror episode after uh, November 8th, I don't think I would have picked the one I picked. I think I would have picked the Waldo effect, because we just elected Waldo president. It's it's scary. And when we were obviously talking about the episodes we were going to cover, there was a long period where we the Waldo was going to be like one of the episodes we were going to cover. And that, yeah. that would have been... Just seeing what's obviously happened on your side of the pond, just that would have been a. Uh, oh yeah, it's it's scary. I think it's scary to see how art has once again predicted history in a way, or preceded history. It's uh, yeah. It, 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 it's Charlie Brooker has his finger on the pulse of something very dark in Western culture you know um and and, and and even to the point you know in in anglo-american culture i mean i i mean there are a lot of definite you know it, 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 it's not fair to say that you know the only difference between american culture and british culture is the accents you know but it, it really is there is really something i think really dark at the heart of of um of Western culture, yeah, and and Bricker's got his finger on it, and the thing about Black Mirror is that 
it's almost like, you, you, you know, it, it's really taking a lot of things that people don't talk about, that people, a lot of people don't even know that they should be talking about or thinking about. Yeah. And he's bringing this stuff to light. Yeah. I think there is, on the night of the actual election, when it was becoming clear to everyone that uh, Trump was going to win the election. Black Mirror actually sent out a tweet proclaiming, and uh, this is this is what they said, this isn't an episode, this isn't marketing, this is reality. The yeah. Trump win the election is proper Black Mirror material. Um, as you could essentially say we got with the Waldo moment. And mm-hmm. um, the fact that they had to address it just uh, says about how on on the pulse Brooker can be at times with these episodes, but uh, I, I mean, really, that was the whole thing about watching the the the, the, the election coverage from you know, and I, I I don't know how it how it differed. I don't know a whole lot about how it differed uh, on your side of the pond. I mean, um, I, I would read like whenever something came in on my uh, Facebook feed about Trump and about the election, about the campaign from like the guardian or the economist, you know, I would read stuff like that, but I I don't know necessarily how like the, the, the BBC or the newspapers, you know, other than the guardian covered it, but it, it was just like at one point I remember thinking to myself, Holy shit, we're going to elect, we're coming damn close to electing Waldo. And because it's just what Waldo taps into yeah. in that episode is the exact same thing. You know, this, this sort of, whole sort of, you know, this let's just give a big middle finger and just shove it in the face of, you know, these, what we think of as being the system. Was, and... Yeah. I think... Well, I mean, the whole election results night. I mean, it, I, I mean, I am normally up about five o'clock in the morning because that's what time my youngest decides he wants toaster. And yeah. I was checking the newswire as a dude, just going for the newswire, and the votes were still coming in and and that. And I think that we obviously flicked on to put something on for the kid, and uh, that ended. And it went back onto the news, and I thought, oh, I'll just see what's happening in the news. And it's like flashes up Trump elected president, and uh, it was it was like the end of the Waldo moment. It was just it was just a, a dark moment. You just didn't think that this was going to happen, and you instantly thought that that everything was going to collapse instantly. We people were generally scared. I mean, this isn't our election, and people in other countries were worried right. about the outcome of an American election. This I, is... I mean, I within 24 hours, I had a report from a friend that a, a cousin, a, a cousin who was gay, had actually committed suicide um, as a result of the election results. You know, and, and, and the whole thing is that night was not even very dramatic. You know, I, I'm sitting here doing stuff on my computer and I've got like the, the electoral 
results uh, in another tab of my browser. And it was like, Trump is always ahead, and we're just waiting for that moment where Clinton is going to overtake him, and it never happens. And yeah. it's like, at the end, I'm just sitting here, and it's like, this doesn't even have, like, a satisfying arc to it. It was... It's just... Yeah. Oh. Uh, because, I mean, I was watching it, and these are, like, the southern states that have... Of yeah. Trump, and that was to be expected. Because um, it was always felt that he had a, a strong following in the southern states. And then you think, oh, he's going to the other states, like the Midwest and stuff. That's where we're right. going to get these votes from. And it's, it's the order it's coming through. It looks worse than it is. Um, right. And, uh, yeah, it... Uh, I, think, I, <laughs> I think I had to go into the onion to, like, get myself out of the funk and read the article about the kid who was upset that there was no handles to pull when voting. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh... Yeah. Which admittedly, 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 when I started voting 25 years ago, <laughs> that, I, I was really, actually, I was, I wanted a handle. <laughs> I, I've never had anything other than filling in a dart with a magic marker. Okay. Which just reminds me too much of aptitude sets I took when I was in friggin' grade school, so... Ugh. But, uh, yeah. National Anthem, I think... It's a fascinating episode. Even if you know how it ends, it's still the journey it takes it on. The intrigue and the games being played in the in the uh, corridors of power, I think. Uh, there's a lot of interesting aspects to this story. It's not just... <laughs> just, uh... It's more than its hook. It, 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 it's more than its hook. It, it really, it, it, it's very character-oriented. And, and you do expect Peter Capaldi to show up at some point. You know, that, that's the kind of vibe it has. It has the vibe of kind of like, you're, you're sitting there and you're watching it and you're like, this is going to turn into, you know, thick of it at some point, right? Peter Capaldi is going to show up and he's going he's gonna to be Malcolm Tucker and he's going to swear at everybody, and we're going to have a nice little reassurance here that this is comedy. And you don't ever get that. I mean, not that there aren't ruefully funny parts of the episode, but there is never the point, there is never kind of the point where, where Brooker, Brooker never lets us off the hook with a, 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 a thing saying, yeah, I, I understand. This is, this is, this is, Exaggeration. This is melodrama. Now he takes he takes an outlandish situation, and everybody approaches it, you know, as they would. And this is how you could see if someone were to actually go through and do this. This is exactly the sort of discussions you could imagine going on at Ten Downing and in Whitehall. This is absolutely proper drama right here. Um, but any other thoughts on this one at all? Or? Uh, no, no, not not about the National Anthem. Okay. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and when we return, though, we will be looking at our second episode of Black Mirror, which is the episode from Season 2, White Bear. Why haven't you seen Jaws? I've seen Finding Nemo. That's close enough, right? Why haven't you seen The Usual Suspects? Because I already know who Kaiser Soze is. I can't believe you haven't seen Videodrome. What? Has anyone seen Videodrome? 
You haven't seen Okay, okay, okay. How about I start a podcast where someone will introduce me to one of these great movies I've never seen before, and in return, I'll have them watch a superhero movie. Film-wise, the Why Haven't You Seen This Film podcast. Find it on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. And we're back. Uh, in the first half, uh, we obviously looked at the pilot episode, Black National Anthem. Uh, we're now obviously going to fast forward to season two. Uh, we're an episode that you picked, Lackey, and that's the episode yep. White Bear. Um, White White Bear. Um, now, early earlier on, I mentioned how kind of like I, I, I my kind of vector into the <laughs> twisted world of Charlie Brooker was a show called Dead Set, which, as I said, is basically it's 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 Dawn of the Dead in the Big Brother house. Yeah. Um, very much this sort of modern type zombie story. Um, and that's very much the kind of vibe that White Bear starts off with. It, it starts off with uh, um, a young woman uh, played by Lenora Critchlow, um, who I, I didn't recognize her at the time, but apparently she was on um, the, the UK version of uh, uh, the, 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 the Being Human. Um yeah. Back when, back when Aiden Turner and Russell Tovey were still on the show, she was the cardigan-wearing ghost. Um, but anyway, Lenora Critchlow's character, she wakes up in a house. There's a weird sort of blocky symbol flashing on TV sets. Uh, she has amnesia. She doesn't know where she is. She doesn't know who she is. Uh, she has, like, these little flashes of memory that involve a little girl and um you know she she goes out and out of the house and, and tries to figure out who she is and she basically runs afoul of and and how this is absolutely set up is is marvelous um she immediately kind of wanders into something that looks like the purge where she's, you've got people in, cre- I mean, there's a, there's someone with a, wearing like a sheet mask and carrying like a cordless electric knife that you use for like cutting turkey, you know, and, you know, they start chasing her. She felt like chased by like two or three people. There's another guy who's wearing like a welder's mask and, um, She's being pursued by, like, three or four people, all menacing, all have, like I said, this kind of purge sort of thing. But the majority of people she counters, they just do nothing but film her on their phones. They just stand there silently. They don't talk to her. They don't talk to anybody. They don't respond to any stimulus. And she's going around and she's screaming, who am I? don't know who I am. Can you help me? Why don't you help me? And, um, you know, and she ends up, uh, encountering, um, you know, some other, I guess you would call survivors of whatever this thing that's happened. Um, the, the lead being played by, uh, uh, the wonderfully named Tuppence Middleton, <laughs> who is, Tuppence Middleton has actually been my, my new crush ever since I first saw her in a movie called Tormented, which is also the first place I ever saw Alex Pettifer in. 
But yeah, uh, Tuppence Middleton's got this, uh, you know, wonderful name and, you know, this really sort of big, doughy, not doughy, but like dough, like yeah. female deer type brown eyes and, you know, this, this accent. And basically, what, what she lays out is what happened is just one day, this symbol just started appearing on everything with a screen. You know, phones, tablets, computers, televisions, jumbotrons at sporting events. And it's kind of hypnotized the entire world into basically behaving like these sort of weird people who don't interact with other people uh, and just film you on their phones. And then the other, the, a small percentage of people who were not affected by it basically decided that, well, it's libertarian paradise now. We get to do whatever we want and to whomever we want. And those are the kind of purgy type people going around in masks. And um, so basically, Tuppence Middleton has this plan that there's this um, facility called White Bear. And um, that's where she thinks the broadcast is going from. So there, uh, Tuppence Middleton and Lenora Critchlow are kind of on their way to this this place to try to finally shut shut down this um, shut down this transmission. Of course. And the thing I, I at least feel about this episode before I turn it over to you is that it really, really got me so involved in what's going on and what people were talking about and how things have been explained, because it is pretty much like I have even seen a film that more or less had the same kind of just one day this broadcast comes and hypnotizes people and turns people into psychos or zombies, whatever. It was called The Symbol. A.J. Bowen was in it. Um, before I turn it over to you, it, it had me so kind of wrapped up. This episode had me so wrapped up in, in what people were saying that I didn't actually even really stop to think, okay, this is an episode of Black Mirror. What's really going on? So with that, I'm going to turn things over to you. What's what is your response to White Bear? Uh, White Bear is uh, obviously one of my favourite episodes of season two, uh, which include, uh, which obviously included the Waldo moment, which we mentioned already. Um, this particular episode, it's very easy when you watch it to view it like you're watching some budget horror movie. Just how these characters interact, how it's all set up, and this mass gunman that's obviously chasing Victoria around um, while everyone just basically stands around filming it. Like like you said, they're all just basically mindless zombies. Um, no, one inter- no one interacts with her at all apart from these few survivors, as you said, that uh, she meets along the way. And as the episode goes on, she's constantly having these flashbacks to this young girl that we assume to be her daughter. And as it goes on, uh, the, we learn more and more. And the real kicker here, and spoiler alert now in case you didn't get the original warning, um, it turns out that this whole place is all just like a warped theme park. And that Victoria isn't actually just an innocent woman, young woman. She's um, this evil killer. 
as basically her and her boyfriend they kidnap this young girl who she's the girl she's having flashbacks about and she filmed her boyfriend torturing and murdering this girl with the child's stuffed toy the white bear being the centerpiece of this uh, campaign to try and find this this young girl that they killed and in a kind of outer limits twilight zone twist society has decided that you know the the judicial system isn't going to work for this that the only way to get justice is to essentially build this park so they build the white bird justice park and every day the cycle repeats and she doesn't know because she's drugged and she's it's set up so she wakes up in the bedroom every day and she goes through the same day over and over again and the real you get this wonderful kicker at the uh, the end where it shows people attending the park and they're going through this like orientation meeting where they're being like advised of how they should interact and that you know they should all act like zombies and just feel free to film what's happening on their phones which obviously everyone uh, does and uh, it's that real kicker to this episode which just makes it so great uh, up until that point it's kind of be be right but once we get the kicker it's just like that was actually pretty damn sharp and uh, the original script didn't even have this twist ending it's just something that came to Brooke while he was obviously scouting for locations for the for the episode so yeah I, I like it, that it, it, it is just that kind of revelation that this person that you and it, it, it works so hard to put you on her side you know, it, because it, you know, it's like all these zombies around her, and they're not helping her. And she's holding this picture of the little girl, which she takes from the house. I think this. I don't know who this. I don't know who I am. I think this is my daughter. And then when the kicker comes, when they have kind of the scene where they get to the white bear transmission facility, and that's when they turn the tape. They literally kind of like put her in a chair and twist her, and she's looking at an audience. And everybody she's been interact, everybody she's encountered and talked to is an actor. Yeah. Tuppence Middleton's character is an actor. Um, Michael Smiley, um, the great Michael Smiley, love this guy. Everything he does, I, I have never seen him uh, in anything I did not like in it. Um, and. Uh, just amazing scene where he just basically lays out in everything about this character, you know, about the situation, you know, who she is, what she did, and and what this is that's happening to her every day. Every day, every night, they wipe her memory. Every day, she goes through this whole thing, wakes up, no memory. No idea who she is, or, or she's essentially, and this is the thing that I think is really thought-provoking about this. She is not even remotely the Victoria Scalene, that's what we find out her name is, that helped her boyfriend in this Moore's murder, Moore's murder type thing, the, you know, you know, you know, if, if if her boyfriend was, you know, Ian Brady, she was the the Myra Hindley of the the, the duo. Um, they've completely destroyed that person. The person, the victorious Stalin that goes through this every single day, 
is a completely different person. They're, they're, they're basically torturing someone that no longer exists. They've destroyed that person. And, and that's the kind of really kind of weird Twilight Zone thing when you really actually stop to think about it. You know, they've killed, they've essentially killed, you know, the, the guilty party. And, uh, you know, uh, they're torturing an innocent duck in her place. You know, but that, oh, that whole thing where Michael Smiley is just, you know, going through this whole thing. This is what you did. How did it feel? And she's just sobbing, you know, and just everybody, that you, the, the realization that everybody that you see holding a phone, they're not a zombie. They're a tourist. Yeah. They've come here. They've paid to do this, presumably. I don't think you ever see them paying, but, you know, and just this whole thing, it, 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 it's just... I walked away from this episode feeling like somebody had hollowed out my chest and set off a landmine in it. It was like this sort of emotional thing where it was like, I, 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 it just completely stunned me. And it's not very often that any, any form of what we would laughably call entertainment or popular culture kind of ha can have that effect on me. You know, where it was like, I, I'm just sitting here, it's like, holy shit. This is... And it, it, it's... I mean, it really kind of touches on a, a lot of things. It's a very Scarlet Letter type thing. You know, there's this, you know, I mean, even to the point where they have her brought it, it's almost like a stockade type thing where they... It's the end of the day, and they've gone through and they've done the confrontation. Now they're driving her back to the house where they're going to put the device on her, wipes her memory, and they have her in this sort of like glass enclosure on the back of a pickup truck or something, and people are just throwing like rotten vegetables at her and screaming at her. It's a bitch and a murderer, and someone actually says, burn the bitch at some point. So it's like really kind of twisting that witch hunt type idea, scarlet letter, the crucible type thing home, you know, but it, it, it's like when you, like I said, for me, the real kicker was when I realized that for all intents and purposes, this character that we spent the entire episode is really innocent of the crime she committed because they've destroyed, they've destroyed that person. And it's just like, you, you know, it, it's, it's the whole thing is punishment as entertainment, which is a whole other level of it. You know, the, the, this whole thing we're going through now. And again, another way in which, you know, Brooker has his finger on the pulse of what's going on here, this whole public shaming thing, which we could probably go into at least for another hour. This, this whole, you know, to, to the point where it, it, we're getting back to this whole thing where, you know, punishment, crime and punishment, it, it, it's coming back to entertainment. You know, it, 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 we're getting, we're not too far away, yeah. you know, from, from going and broadcasting friggin', you know, executions. Well, we constantly, what this episode for myself seems to tap into, it's that mentality that you have whenever you have, like, a child murderer or uh, a paedophile that have been caught. Um, and this idea that no matter what service sentence that this person is given, it's never enough to satisfy the public bloodlust, and that this idea that they've they've turned it into 
this Justice Park um, as a way of satisfying the the bloodlust of the of the general public. That this person's done something so hideous that the only way to keep everyone abide everyone is by putting them in the situation where this person is just tortured over and over again, day after day after day, and they don't have no recollection of the day before. So they can't beg for mercy. They can't try and appeal for any sense of uh, sense of mercy at all. That they're just thrown into the situation day after day, and they, by the time they find out what's happening, their mind's wiped, and it's just the start of a new day for them. So, yeah. I love I love the kicker in this one. I think it's it's fantastic. If I was to do a list of my top Black Mirror episodes, this would certainly be near the top. Uh, yeah. <coughs> I think this and uh, alongside uh, the Christmas special, which ruined uh, <laughs> ruined uh, Wizards. Uh, Why can't it be Christmas every day? Yeah, yeah. Um, somebody was actually saying that they are, the reason they are glad that there's an episode later on down the line in the new season called Shut Up and Dance. They were saying that, no, they were saying that um, they were very glad that the song Shut Up and Dance does not actually appear in the episode because it would have ruined it for them. Oh, yeah. You, you know, it, it's just like, oh, and, and that's, that's the thing about this. This is... um. You, you know, I, 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 I can't really explain, you know, I mean, this is definitely, I, I mean, in terms of, like, absolute sheer power of, uh, of an episode, I mean, like I said, and it's something where it's like you should know there's going to be a kicker coming down the line at some point, but the human drama, trying to figure out what's going on, it had, uh, it just had me so engrossed that I wasn't even sitting here thinking, wait a second, this can't be what it seems. This can't just be another let's run away from purge zombies type thing. There's got to be, there's got to be a point at which we just, you know, somebody pulls the lever and the bottom drops out. Yeah. You know, and and, and again, I, I don't think this is something we kind of touched on early uh, when we were talking about national anthem. I, I think this one of the things that really you need a good cast to pull stuff like this off. This is very high-concept stuff, to be sure, but it's high-concept, but it's also human drama. You know, this is about, ultimately, how people relate to each other. And um, that you have, you know, these episodes, some of these episodes, amazing casts. You know, you've got um, you know, uh, the, the, the uh, Be Right Back, which has um, uh, Haley Atwell. Um, and I mean, I, I, I saw this episode, and then I saw the pilot episode of, of Marvel's Agent Carter, and I didn't realize that Peggy Carter was Haley Atwell from that episode. And Donald Gleason, uh, who just seemed to be the all-encompassing ginger Irish uh, just thing that absorbed all of entertainment because he was in every like third film I watched last year. Um, and then you mentioned the Christmas special, which is one of really, really proves to 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 people why we in America consider John Hamm a national treasure. You know, 
I mean, we love Mad Men here in America, but that's John Hamm, you know. Yeah. And, and just really, like I said, have really pulled off something, even going back to, 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 to National Anthem. In order to pull off National Anthem, you needed actors with the caliber of the caliber of, like, Rory Kinnear and Leslie Duncan. Lindsay Duncan, I, I can't get... And that's the same, same thing here. It, it's, it's not... And again, I'm not entirely sure that everybody, anybody is. Maybe, maybe Cuppence Middleton will get her Oscar at, at some point or another. I mean, for the most part, outside Britain, she mainly um, seems to be known for her performance in uh, uh, Jupiter Ascending, um, where she basically said, "Okay, if I if I show the audience my butt, can I get out of this movie quicker?" Um, but it, it, it's like Lenora Critchlow. Tuppence Milton really sell it. Michael Smiley, who I think may still primarily be associated with space, and I still tend to think of him as being kind of like the slightly funny, creepy, funny guy in Ben Wheaton movies. You know, this is just so... He is just so vicious in this and he can go from being kind of like the guy in the zombie movie who you know the gruff guy in the zombie movie yeah. who is initially going to leave you for dead but ultimately comes around and then he goes and then he's no he's the sardonic creep with you know a, a power drill and then when they, they you know do the reveal and he's going he's getting these grand gestures he's bowing to the audience like he thinks he's playing Hamlet you know it's a performance he's putting on a play and he just goes from all these stages of the character and it's just like this is what you needed to pull something like this off you couldn't have just pulled three idiots off the equity rolls and just shove scripts in their faces and say do this no no, no. You know, you really needed people who could do this, and and that's uh, you know another thing we talk about. We talk about Charlie Brooker, and Charlie Brooker, the genius. He is obviously the genius behind this whole thing, obviously. But it, it, it's like there are so many other moving parts of this with any show that you know I, I, I'm, I'm I'm always stunned by the direction. I'm always stunned by the by the acting. You know, and and this is just it, it's. You know, it's it, 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 it's so typical. Like I said, it's so typical B movie running from zombies that you think it's typical until all of a sudden it doesn't, and that's when the twist works. The twist works when you don't expect it. When you're in a position where you somehow it it, it, it fools you into thinking, yeah, everything's exactly what it seems. Yeah. You know, if you can even think to yourself, there's a twist here. There's got to be a twist because this is a Shyamalan movie or whatever. Yeah. You know, then you're always at the edge thinking, okay, you're like, you know, you're like Douglas in the episode of uh, IT Crowd. You know, oh, it's another Earth. It's an alternate universe. You know, and, and that's really what I think really makes this episode powerful. Not even necessarily that it's got that kind of, that the twist works so well. Oh. <gasps> White bear. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah. This is Brooker. I think as we've covered on both episodes, this is 
if anyone, any show could be like classified as picking up the mantle left by the like, Twilight Zone out of limits, then I think Black Mirror is the uh, the show that's done it. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely, in in more of the because Outer Limit. I mean, Outer Limits was just basically. Yeah, Outer Limits was an anthology show, and it would have the science fiction edge to it. And you know, science fiction often works best when it's got the the undertones. But Twilight Zone specifically, Twilight Zone, Ron Serling wanted Twilight Zone to be allegorical. He wanted it to have a social conscience. And admittedly, some of the Dutch are when he really tries to ram the social conscience down your throat. Yeah, you know. But it's, it's, it's really kind of like the best, the most powerful episodes of Twilight Zone to me were the ones like the monsters are due on, on Maple Street. Um, the one where, it, you know, the, the paranoid, you know, it's like trying to figure out who the, the, the alien is. Or I have the beholder, the one that has the twist and the moral and the social conscience and the commentary. Yeah, it's funny you should mention I the beholder because that is the episode which came to mind when I was thinking of where I'd obviously seen this sort of story before, but uh, yeah, definitely I'll behold, I would agree with you on that one, certainly. Uh-huh. But yeah, this is really... You haven't even... And even the Twilight Zone really couldn't bring itself to go quite this far. You know, I mean, definitely... I mean, we're talking, you know, early 60s American commercial television. You can only do so much. You can only push the envelope so much. Even if you were you know, Rod Serling. But, yeah, this is really... This is... Even, even if this is not necessarily the best show on television right now, it may or it may not be, you know, because everybody's got different tastes, and I'm not going to, you know... If someone's out there trying to convince me that Honey Boo Boo is the best show on TV, good for them. But this is... I don't. I. I can't think of anything else that's being out there. That's out there. That's even remotely being made. That that that, that is doing this kind of thing. I mean, not even just in the sense that it's trying. It's a an anthology show, and I'm glad anthology shows are coming back. Um, but simply that it is as a piece of. It works as a piece of entertainment. It works as a piece of art. Well, now then. Uh... Well, good then. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, that brings us to another edition, end of another edition of the Mad Bad and Damn Strange Showcase. I've. Uh, how are you um, um. Wrong podcast. Okay. Scratch that. <laughs> I keep renaming them fucking wrong show as well. That's it. Um, All shows are now under one title. Yeah. It's called Shut Up and Listen. I <laughs> <laughs> Elwood Jones and the Temple of Doom. <laughs> That's the thing. This is the, the podcast is playing. <laughs> Shut up and yeah. listen. Uh, Shut up and listen. I don't care what, what... We're just talking about something. I don't care what it is. Um, right. Okay. That brings us to another end of another edition of TV Good Sleep Bad. We hope you've enjoyed this uh, trek through the darker recesses of Charlie Brooker's mind. Um, as we've obviously covered these two episodes tonight. Uh, if you did uh, obviously uh, find them intriguing, you can find Black Mirror currently on Netflix if you're here in the UK, and I assume it's going to be on a streaming, one of the streaming platforms in the States. 
in the states, it's on Netflix as well. So. It's a net, it's being billed as a Netflix original. Okay. Um, and and we've had we've had the first we've had the first two series proper for quite some time, and, yeah. and White Christmas appeared well, probably about six seven months ago. So we're we it, 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 this is not hard to find. And uh, I suppose it's rather fitting that you mention White Christmas because obviously our next episode is going to be our first Christmas special. Um, and what are we going to be obviously looking at for that one, Lucky? Um, well, my choice for that is going to be um, a little Jim Henson production from the mid-70s uh, starring a, a number of Muppets. This is not Sesame Street or Muppet Show related, but it is called Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. Nice. This is one I've actually wanted to watch... I think since last year when it suddenly came into vogue, so I'm very much looking forward to seeing this one. So uh... it's it's delightful. It, it it had this sort of resurgence, and there was a resurgence in interest in it uh, a few years ago. Um, you know, there's a sort of I, I think it's the whole part of the whole. You know, with you know rebooting or not necessarily rebooting, but bringing back the Muppets for the films. Yeah. I, I think there's a little bit more. Um, I don't think anybody really seems to be all that interested in Land of Gorch, but I, I think there is maybe a little bit more interest in things that were not necessarily Kermit-related, but, but that Jim Henson did, that there's a seems to be a resurgence of interest in things like The Dark Crystal and Labyrinth and, oh, God, what was that thing with the Fraggle Rock? Yeah, that. Well, Muppet Babies is no. coming back. Yeah, Muppet Babies is coming back. Uh, yeah. So, yay. Um, but yeah, um, Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, very mid to late 70s. Okay, cool. Uh, for myself, though, I've chosen something which is one of those rare occasions where even if I told you how bad this was, it still wouldn't prepare you for how bad this show is that we're going to be make, we'll be watching in this double bill. As please, please tell me what this is. I, I, I don't leave me in suspense here. <laughs> <laughs> this is the show. This was a one-off special. It was done only once, and then they tried to bury the tape. But thankfully, due to straight shaders, this one isn't ever going away. Um, we are going to be looking. Now, I hope you're all sitting down for this one. We're going to be looking at the Star Wars Holiday Special. That's right. The show that is so bad that we, that even no matter how bad we tell you it is, it will still not prepare you for how bad this is. And this is the the platform which we first got to see Boba Fett, we get to meet Chewie's family, and we get to hear Princess Leia singing along to the Star Wars theme tune while she wobbles on about Life Day. This is going to be yeah, an absolute so, so massive... Chewie's son Lumpy. Chewie's son Lumpy, if I remember correctly, right? <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, um, B. Arthur, B. Arthur, um, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of jokes around there we can make about B. Arthur. We'll make most of them in our next episode. Art Carney's in it. I'm having Jefferson a freaking airplane, people. This was back when Jefferson Airplane was, they were kind of in that nebulous zone where they were shifting from being kind of like the stoner, psychedelic, but harder rocking successor to Jefferson Airplane, they were on the cusp of turning into the uh, Mickey Thomas-fronted um, 
arena rock monstrosity. This was just another, this is just another step on the inevitable road till we built the city on rock and roll. This is, okay, George Lucas, okay, George Lucas, the fucking rabbit, the fucking talking rabbit from the Marvel, from the Marvel comics, Jax or whatever his name was, was canon. This was not. George Lucas explicitly removed this from the canon. <laughs> yeah, this one, uh, yeah, this is going to get... This one is going to get real messy real quick. You are not, and this is why you are not going to see Lumpy, or it has any references to Life Day in episodes 8 or 9. I know, I, I, I personally, what was it, Chewie had like the, Chewie had like, they, they went to Kashyyyk for what, episode 3, right? I was hoping Lumpy was going to be there. I, I was hoping the Empire, I was hoping Palpatine would go in with, with the clone stormtroopers and they would interrupt fucking Life Day. Okay, Jefferson Airplane would have been there. No. <laughs> All this and more to come on the next episode of TV Good Sleep Bad. Um, Star Wars. Anyway. Thank you again, obviously, to my co-host, Mr. <laughs> Daniel Lackey, for joining me for this episode. Um, what's happening it, in your it, corner it, of the web? Uh, I am kind of writing things a little bit... Um, for my site, which is now Lackey Writes About Film, uh, which uh, can be found at lackeyonfilm.com. Uh, recently, um, I wrote a review of the Roger Waters concert film, The Wall, um, which means I'm really going into some weird directions. And then over, um, I have also recently contributed to Cinema Axis, cinemaaxis.com, uh, their coverage of the Toronto independent Canadian uh, genre film festival, uh, Blood in the Snow. I um, wrote reviews of, um, see if I can remember these names now, there was the sublet, which was um, basically, it was if, if The Shining took place in a creepy apartment instead of a creepy hotel, it would have been the sublet. And I always want to say boring, find, torture, kill, but it's not that. It's capture... Kill release, which is, um, you know, if, if, if we have to have um, found footage horror films, then at least they should be halfway decent ones like this one. And then there was Holy Hell, which was not the documentary. There was a documentary about a cult earlier on this year called Holy Hell. This is not it. This is a Canadian. This is basically a trauma movie. Um, if there were a Canadian trauma, they would have made this film. And uh, it's the only film you will see this year, and indeed for the rest of your life, where you will see a gun battle uh, between a priest and a drag queen in a kitten mask. Nice. I can't make this stuff up. This is this is the world we live in, kids. Cool. Uh, anyway, what about you, Elwood? Me fine, bucko. <laughs> well, obviously, this being December, uh, as of the time of recording, and that means it's the start of the alternate Christmas season on From the Depths of DVD Hell, a month-long celebration of all things rather twisted about the festive season. 
We've got the countdown, which has started again over on the Facebook page uh, from the Depths of DVD Help. And you can also follow that on my Twitter, which is at Elwood underscore Jones. Uh, every day I post uh, something old Christmas related. We've got some great fun uh, reviews coming up. We've got some special episodes of the MBDS showcase uh, coming up as well, where we're going to be looking at uh, Don't Up Until Christmas and Santa's Sleigh. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of old Christmas goodness coming. I, I don't go in for Halloween like a lot of the cool bloggers do. Um, old Christmas is my big holiday of the year, so I'm very excited to be now doing uh, another round of these uh, these movies. So, it's all very exciting. Awesome. Um, obviously, have, have you done Elves? Have you done Elves? I haven't. I watched Elves last year, but I forgot to review it. And uh, nah. Elves are the misleading title because there's only one. Um, but uh, yeah, it's every year I, I, there's something new uh, comes along, like the remake of Silent Night or uh, Bikini Bloodpath uh, Massacre Christmas. So uh, yeah, it's just elves always sticks out in my head because uh, the Dredgen reviewed it for uh, uh, Force Viewing, and I just remember when he came back, the tagline for the review was "Ho ho, holy shit." Um. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, in the meantime, though, uh, please do, if you haven't done already, follow us on Facebook. We are at TV Sleep Good Bad. We're on Twitter, uh, which is also at TV Good Sleep Bad. Um, or please hit that subscribe button if you're following us on Podomatic or if you're following us on iTunes. Hit the uh, subscribe button. Leave us some nice words or a review. Let us know what you think of the show. It's all appreciated. Uh, the Facebook page, we are trying to, again, still make more active. We are trying to post things as they come up on there. So uh, try and uh, check on there. And let us know what shows you would like to see covered on this podcast. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, hopefully uh, get some of your favorites uh, covered as well. So, But uh, thank you again, obviously, to my co-host, Mr. Daniel Lackey. Always a pleasure. And uh, we'll be back very soon with our alternative look at Christmas I guess as uh, we look at uh, we look at uh, the Star Wars Holiday Special and uh, Emmett Otter's Jack Van Christmas so uh, yeah definitely uh, plenty to look forward to but until uh, next time this is Edward Jones signing off another edition of TV Good Sleep Bad remind you as always to keep it strange